0: Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Knollcast. As we are wont to do, we will thank our friends at New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. The title sponsor, the Knollcast, and as always, we will thank them. Uh, tip of the hat, and with that, Bud, let's jump into tonight's
1: content. Let's do it, buddy. Uh, so tonight, what do we have on deck here? We have a little talk about offensive tackles. Uh, hey, just figured if if Bud in, in doing the rankings process finds some kids that he thinks maybe could deserve an offer, might as well share those. We'll talk a little bit about the NFL draft, uh, some some trends that we see with five stars and four stars. And, you know, do stars really matter? Are the rankings getting better, getting worse? Are they staying about the same. Uh, we'll do uh, maybe a little talk about the budget impact that we could have uh, with the ongoing battle with the virus. We'll have a uh, a little rank off. We're going to rank the positions from strongest to weakest, and Ingram and I have not disclosed to each other our rankings here, uh, but we will uh, we will on the show one by one, and you guys can play along at home. And then we're going to get out of here on a question from uh, from Brett uh, who asks, uh, can you give us a rundown of which of our NOLs uh, in the NFL might be in position battles after this draft? So Ingram and I took and uh, we researched, okay, who are the F- FSU guys still in the NFL? What, what are their current positions and roles? And uh, might they be in a little bit of jeopardy here if uh, if these guys who were drafted catch on? So let's uh, let's get into it, and if we need a little more content, then we will uh, we'll dig up some more listener questions. Hey, let's just continue
0: our uh, off-season talk of the offensive tackle board in general. A couple of new names to uh, throw out there tonight: a kid out of uh, East Georgia uh, Athens Academy prospect Hugh Laughlin, uh, really kind of intriguing prospect, long pretty athletic kid who uh, plays for a private school so judging competition may be hard to do but uh, by my accounts has done pretty well on the camp circuit depending on where he's gone hey another pretty intriguing prospect uh, when I when I saw this kids come up name come up uh, took a look and impressive film so
1: we'll see somebody to add to the to the list definitely he's a player I really hadn't heard of and, and a guy who's played some other positions like you mentioned there, pretty good athleticism. And and this is the kind of prospect. like the, the guys you need to be offering right now are the dudes who you would have offered because you like their film and you finally got a chance to see them in person when they came to your spring game, right? Or they came to one of your, your late junior days and you're like, okay, wait a second. I'm seeing this guy physically. I'm shaking his hand in the hallway here. He checks out physically and we already like the film. Boom, that's an offer. Well, we don't have the ability now to see these kids in person. There is no spring evaluation period going on. I don't think we're going to get any form of summer camp this year at all. Like I I, In fact, I mean, we already know Florida state is closed through August 2nd to all events. So that's pretty much foreclosed. I don't think we're going to have like many satellite camps throughout the state, if any, as far as off sites. So you either have two choices. You can wait on kids until you see them in the fall, or you can take a, a bit of a calculated risk and, Decide to go ahead and offer some kids whose film you like, and maybe you've seen a recent photo or two of them, and you say, okay, this kid's got some size, and maybe maybe you Skype, Skype with them or Zoom call them or whatever, and 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 check them out. A lot of this is dependent on how you feel about your offensive tackle board. I probably feel a little bit less good about Florida State's offensive tackle board than maybe Florida State does. I, I don't think Amarius Mems, Tristan Lee, J.C. Latham are, are really realistic targets, and, and I don't necessarily like some of the other guys who they have quote-unquote offered, to be honest. And, and I, I think some of these kids who they've not offered are, are better players at, at the tackle position specifically. And of course, we're not even ca- counting on JUCOs yet. I would fully expect Florida State to try and go after junior college offensive tackles this year uh, simply because they have a track record, the coaching staff does, of hitting the JUCO circuit pretty hard at their prior stops. So, yeah, they, they offer Hugh Laughlin. I think it makes sense. He's out of Athens, Georgia. Of course, we're all pretty familiar where that is, so we're not going to play a uh, guest at Georgia County like we often do uh, with Ingram. I wanted to talk about some offers that might make sense. In the last episode, uh, we discussed Rod Orr and, and Garner Langlow. That's uh, Rod Orr and Garner Langlow. Orr is out of Alabama, and Garner is out of uh, Ocala. So you guys can look those up if you want to, if you got some free time at home and you want to watch the huddle film. These guys are not going to blow you away, but this is a a school right now that's not going to get elite-level offensive tackles. They need to get guys who are probably right now average to below average but have pretty high ceilings because this is a bit of a long-term developmental situation to where you're probably trying to fill immediate needs with JUCOs and trying to address long-term needs with guys who are a little bit more developmental. I have three names for you here tonight. The first is a guy named Ruquan. That's Ruquan, R U apostrophe, Quan Buckley out, out of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Recently picked up TCU, Oregon, Nebraska. Very athletic prospect uh, as experienced playing multiple positions. I, I think he's a guy that you really should check out. And, and that, this is kind of what really future elite level offensive tackles look like when they're skinny like this in, in high school. I mean, but they, they move around. They got the frame. You can kind of see it. Uh, the second is uh, Zen Mikalski, and Zen actually is from. And group check this name out, by the way. He is from Floyd's Knob, Indiana. Floyd's Knob. The whole combination:
0: first name, last name, where he's from. This is a witness protection kid. It's a kid that'll stand out as we uh, as we circle back to our our O two board moving forward. Definitely,
1: I said witness protection, but clearly, like this name draws some. Like it draws some eyes, and especially from the town. Like this is like some comic book name. Zen Mikulski from Floyd's Knob, Indiana. It, it either a comic book character or like a 1930s baseball player. So yeah. Anyway, I had him on the list from last, from uh, basically after last episode, and he committed to Louisville on uh, on Saturday. Louisville gets a pretty good one, I think, but if you want to look at, like, if you want to just kind of get a feel for what I'm looking for when I'm looking for some of these second-tier offensive tackles, uh, Zen Mikulski would be another good one to take a look at. And then a third name, and, and I swear, th- these names, I didn't pick them just because they're, they're wild names, but Mohamed Muasa. Mohamed Muwasa out of Indianapolis. Similar type player, long frame, pretty good athleticism, just a guy that I think makes some sense to look at. And I don't know if Florida State would offer all three of these kids if they came to their camp, but, but I'd bet money that they'd offer at least two of them in person. And you might say, Hey, like maybe they don't want to go away to Michigan or, or Indiana. They're not offering Langlo already in, in state and they don't really seem to have traction with other offensive tackles in the state right now. I mean, Caleb Johnson continues to really not mention Florida State very much in, in interviews. I think I'd rather have those other kids than a guy like George Jackson, who's committed to Florida right now, and and you know visited FSU. But I, I have no idea if he'd be a take. Maybe like a Bram Walden or a McKaylen Pounder. But I, I, you see what I'm saying here? Like like who who on their board do you actually like? Who you think they can get? And I'm left kind of scratching my head. And thus I, I went searching for other guys who I, I think could help them.
0: No, I mean I think we're still in the in the search mode. There's there's some names out there. There's some names that uh, Florida State wish they had better traction with. I imagine there's probably some kind of idea that once uh, you know some form sort of normal returns to recruiting, that maybe they'll be able to get in front of these kids and have uh, you know better luck with them. Certainly, you're never going to be able to. Legitimately look at a kid in the eye and offer him a better possible depth chart when it comes to early starting at a program like Florida State. So uh, there's a lot to sell there. I'm sure they'll they think they'll be able to have traction with otherwise on kids that they haven't. You know this is a this is a tackle board and a a position board that you simply the uh, failures of the past have magnified. go ahead and put such an importance on on your current operations that you can't hold out some kind of hope that you're going to turn a kid that you haven't gotten otherwise um, some kind of positive results with. So we'll keep searching uh, as the staff continues to and uh, continue to bring names that we think may pop up on the board and you know, may they all be as, as unique as the ones that we've talked about
1: tonight. And it's just such an outlier relative to the rest of the roster, right? Like, spoiler alert, Ingram and I are going to have the offensive line as the worst position by far with a bullet. I mean, it, it's, it won't be close when we do our little position rankings, unless you're going to really, really shock here. And specifically, the tackle position. like There's no reason to believe that you have good answers. And I say answers with an S because I think maybe Darius Washington could be a good tackle down the line. But there's no reason to believe you have multiple like good answers right now on your roster. You have to keep recruiting and, and throwing extra resources in the form of extra scholarships. You have to over-recruit the position. You have to make sure you're going after junior college kids as well when those kids emerge. And, of course, the the whole virus thing is going to make that kind of interesting. But that's why I'm looking so hard at the tackle position here and thinking, okay, if I was for state, who would I offer? Cause a lot of people ask us, like, what would you do about this? I would throw resources at it, even if it meant going a scholarship short at another position, not for a prolonged period, but maybe for a year, you know, maybe, maybe two, maybe, maybe you kind of rotate the position you go short at in the recruiting class. Anyway, I, I know we got good feedback last episode when we gave the names, Rod Orton and Garner Langlow. And I, I think the, uh, Ruquan Buckley, Zen Mikulski, and Mohamed uh, Musa uh, names. Maybe we'll get some, uh, some good uh, feedback on that as well, assuming people can actually spell those and, and Google them uh, to, to watch their film. So that's kind of a little more niche, but we started with it just because it's, it's kind of the one pressing issue of this team on the football side, not on the, not on the just like purely other side. You want to talk a little, uh, little draft and five stars here? or a little uh, little draft content?
0: We'll do some draft uh, and we'll switch to the, the uh, few prospects that we can name with uh, with Florida State and their background, but want to at first uh, just kind of give you the floor, let you talk about, saw the article that you did today titled, Why the Recruiting Industry Had Its Best NFL Draft in 2020. And uh, I can't say that I was blown away by some of the odds that you produced, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and what a, a five-star, according to your calculations, had about a 20% chance of being drafted, whereas a four-star drops down to what less
1: than less than four percent, if I remember reading correctly in your article? In the first round. Okay, right. Yeah. I, I write almost this exact same article every year. And every year it's a banger, man. Because every year you get these people who still don't think recruiting rankings are, are worth a damn. And I'm like, yeah, uh they they kinda are. Like, yet again, um, Every year, there's about 5,000 scholarship players who go play D1 football, like new ones every year who sign scholarship papers. Uh, You got 85 scholarships at the FBS level. You have 63 scholarships at the FCS level. Obviously, you're not filling all those with new players every year, uh, but it's it's about 5,000 new out of the 18,800 and something uh, total scholarships available. And uh, so you basically kind of work back and say, all right, how many, how many, one, how many five stars, how many four stars, how many three stars, how many two stars? And then the remainder are sort of your unrated players who, who the rating services uh, of which I'm now a part never, you know, ne- never get to rating. And 5,000 kids is a ton of kids to rate. We actually rate about 4,000. And, and then there's about 1,000 who do sign scholarships who we never get around to rating. And, and I'm always very interested in a couple of things. Number one, like, what is the rate at which four stars and five stars are, are going in the first round? And I think that's pretty interesting because, like, those are the guys you're going to spend your most time on trying to get right. And so this year, these are mainly based on the 2016 and 2017 recruiting classes. So this year, five stars, uh, one in five of them so far have gone in the first round. So about a 20% chance of being a first rounder if you were a five star this year. That's slightly down from a prior year. Uh, Four stars, one in 21. That's actually slightly up from a prior year. Overall, with the blue chip recruits, your your four and five stars, you know, pretty good, man. Um, A a really nice day for the recruiting industry there on Thursday night. Three stars held pretty steady uh, for the most part, but the the real victory here, there were two of them. We actually had the highest average star rating ever in the first round at 3.75. The prior best was 3.65, so like a full tenth of a, of a point there, which th- that sounds minuscule, but if you think about it, going from three six to three seven, when your prior range had been like three two five to three six five, that's a pretty good jump, right? Like you're you're a full tenth clear of anything in in the, in the prior uh, decade and well above the average uh, in the prior decade. So the highest average star rating ever, which you, know, you can find this article again on twenty four seven sports. But also check this out: we set a record for the fewest number of, of two-star and zero-star recruits going in first round. We only had one kid who was, who was a two-star or unrated player out of high school go in the first round. And that was Brandon Ayuk, the Arizona State uh, receiver who got taken by, I think, San Fran in the, the, the latter half of the first round. And he just didn't have any grades coming out of high school and had to go to junior college. And he was also a uh, he was more of a DB and a return guy in high school Part of that, I think, is because his quarterback was like a track guy. And they he ran the ball a lot, His QB did. So they, they didn't throw in the ball all that much. And uh, he gets to, gets to junior college and catches like 60 passes and 14 touchdowns. And he gets a couple scholarship offers and he chooses Arizona State because they wanted him to play receiver. So I, I investigate kind of why, like, where do these kids come from when they're two stars and underrated kids? Like, why did we miss on them? Because I, I consider if you go first round and you were a zero or a two, to me, that's a miss. And then I want to put it into two categories. Like, is it a miss that we should have been able to see, right? Or is it a miss that was sort of unforeseen? With IU, he clearly had some talent. However, he had no scholarship offers because everybody realized he was going to have to go to junior college. And when he got to junior college, we did re-rate him to a high three-star rating. So if you want to use the junior college included rankings, which traditionally in my analysis, I have not. But if you do, then this is the first draft ever where every single first rounder was rated three stars and up, which is pretty good. So overall, a really nice day for the recruiting ratings. Actually, 2,800 two stars and zero stars out there who signed to play scholarship football at D1 level. One of them went in the first round. That's pretty good to not have guys slip through the cracks.
0: That's impressive. It's impressive the way that you have that laid out there. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to see where these numbers go and can only imagine that they're probably going to go up. Uh, we'll see how much that continues to progress, but uh, uh, you know, it's unique for us to be able to draw upon somebody in your current role and kind of give given ideas to the broader ability of the recruiting industry to capture these kids out of high school and project, uh, I have to say remarkably accurate as to how they, you know, how they, how they ultimately look as prospects three, four and five years down the line.
1: By the way, Florida State did not really help here uh, in, in getting these five-stars and four-stars uh, drafted. Uh, you may not be surprised by that news, but they, uh, they got a couple four- and five-stars who are, are, are yet to be drafted and uh, who were in the draft. So could be even better without a couple schools, FSU being one of them, kind of taking the last three or four years of development, uh, largely just kind of coasting there. Uh, but yeah, check that out. And I know Brendan Sinone on Knowles Twenty Four Seven also wrote about that. I I haven't read it yet, but I, I I talked to him on the phone today, so I had a pretty good idea uh, what's coming. And he wrote about Florida State's uh, five star development, uh, which is a pretty neat concept. Do you remember how we used to talk about how their hit rate was probably unsustainably high?
0: Well, certainly, yeah. And it's a, a conversation that was kind of uncomfortable at the time because you have to acknowledge something that you don't want to be true. Uh, but yeah, that was, was certainly one of the concerns about the. Early phases of Jimbo's tenure, certainly.
1: No doubt. Uh I think maybe their hit rate on some of these guys now is unsustainably low. Like, I, I would expect it to bounce back. I don't expect their offensive line to be horrible in perpetuity, because just the odds are that you're going to get some guys who are at least ACC average in here, and and probably pretty soon, you know? Um, especially if, if you're willing to throw resources at it. So. I was pretty happy with the uh, with the Ram selection of Cam hey Heyo,
0: <laughs> no man, thrilled for Cam. Thrilled to see him go uh, in the second round, and uh, by all accounts, went to a, a place where you know, with Gurley leaving, he certainly has an opportunity to get snaps early. I think Cam's got all the all the potential in the world, and uh, very much hope to see him bust onto the scene. And like I said in the past, next or uh, in the last podcast, be. Be able to go ahead and negotiate that second contract as soon as possible. But uh, good for Cam. Great to see him get drafted. Yeah, that was about it for, for Florida State conversation.
1: All right, Agram, now it's time to talk real quickly here. So millions of people have been laid off, furloughed, lost their income, and, and more are sure to come. No one knows how long the situation will last. But if you have child support payment or alimony obligation, it, you need to know that the, the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It is important to seek a court order modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing and not to the time of the change in your income. So until you file for it your payment is still going to be based on what you what it was not what your new income is. Even if you only expect a short-term loss of income, Travis Johnson, our longtime sponsor one of the top family law attorneys in the state, he can help you temporarily reduce your, your child support or support obligation if you need to do so. Travis is a board-certified family law attorney with more than a decade of experience. And for cast listeners only, and only for a limited time, he's offering a free first consult, and he also has flexible payment rates. So 850-435-9919. It's Travis Johnson, 850-435-9919. May not need the services of a family law attorney right now, but it never hurts to take the number down in case you might need it in the future. Who knows? 850-435-9919. Know who to call. Call Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson firm. We talk about guys who might be better in the pros than they are in college, and we typically don't talk about five stars that way, especially not like five-star running backs. You know, it's just I'm trying to think about the, like the last guy who was a five star running back who was better in the NFL than he was in college. I'm struggling because typically, like maybe I'm missing somebody here. And let, like, I don't think Dalvin's better in the NFL than, than he was in college. You see what I'm saying? Like, can, can, off the top of your head, you, you're a guy who knows recruiting history just just crazily well.
0: It takes injury, or uh, it takes like a Jasper Sink situation at Georgia. That that was a name that came to my mind. Somebody that was all world out of high school. Didn't really do much in college, and then latched on at least in Cleveland for a little while. So I think it takes
1: injury suspension, particularly at that position, to kind of bust out like that. I, I think that makes sense. So if if you were to put like this kind of qualifier on it, like how many carries did Cam Akers have in, in college? Probably at least five hundred, may, maybe seven hundred, somewhere in that area. If you said, hey, like how many five star running backs who had at least six hundred carries in college? So you're talking about like being like the primary guy for more than just one season here. How many of those guys went on to have a better NFL career than they did a college career? I, I bet you the list is really short, man. I mean, really short. I- I'm just going through the five star running backs here in my head. Like Michael Dyer was definitely not Lake Strunk at Oregon. No, I think about dudes who were like who were okay in college but not like amazing. Uh, here's one for you, I- Isaiah Crowell. But that, but, but he didn't have like D1 college carries, right? Like he got kicked out of Georgia pretty quickly, right? After like one year, and he ended up at like Alabama State. I laugh because that's actually the kid that I think
0: I was, I just grabbed one talented uh, prospect running back when I was actually trying to talk about the other. Uh, both of them are running backs out of Columbus. They were just about 15 yards, or 15 years apart from each other. And yeah, that's, that's the type of situation that it takes. And that's one
1: of the only, the last people that I can think of. And we would bounce him from our, our sample set here because he wouldn't have enough carries at, at the D1 level. Like, I'm just going back here. I don't know if anybody who had that amount of carries, who was a five star back in college, went on to have a better pro career than he did a college career. And, and somebody will probably write it in correctness, and I, and I hope they do. But so far, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Like, I'm, I'm through five years here, starting in '09, and I'm just, Fournette, definitely not. Would you say Sony Michelle? He had a pretty good career at Georgia, but he's he was hurt at Georgia some. Yeah, he split time. He did have a pretty good Super Bowl. I mean, like, they didn't score a lot of points, but he got, a, he did get a lot of carries at that, 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 that playoff run year. That's kind of right there in the middle. We're just talking about Georgia running backs at this point. Yeah.
0: That's true. But yeah, that's somebody that I would put in the, in the conversation.
1: <laughs> Certainly no, no Florida State guys in the last, in the last decade, I wouldn't think. Obviously nobody in the 2017 class because they haven't played in any NFL ball yet. So, like, I think we can say, like, with pretty good certainty here that, no running back who was a five star in the last decade had a better NFL career than he did a college career if he had like at least 600 carries in, in college. You know, like he got a real shot to show himself on like, a, you know, as far as volume and sample set wise, and yet still didn't, still didn't make it happen. What about uh, Christine Michael? Ended up playing for the Seahawks for a while. I think maybe he could fit in there. He, he, he got some carries with, with, the, uh, with AM. Joe McKnight's and no Mark Tyler Noel Devine, yeah. I like I, my point here is I it's just how how rare is this dude for a guy like Cam Akers to have been a five star, arguably the number one running back in the country, come play behind like three terrible offensive lines in a row, and he has a real chance to be a better NFL player than he was a college player, largely because of the blocking for him. Although, like our producer, producer Justin told us in in, in pregame. It's not like the Rams' offensive line is any good. They are not. <laughs> He's been waiting to jump in and just say this: like hey. Cam will
0: be right at home, definitely. Yeah, it's just a unique situation with that. You know, with all the situations that he faced at Florida State and the challenge that he faced with the offensive line, kid. That at the last half of this year, every time he carried the ball, I just said, "I hope you get up. I hope you don't get injured. Uh, I hope you keep yourself in a place to where you can get drafted and uh, want the best for Cam Akers, and certainly hope that he has as much success and. In LA as possible. Yeah, I do too. Here's the thing that's really intriguing about Akers to me is that he can pass protect pretty well, better than most rookie running backs coming out of college. And I've, I'm really interested to see the Rams utilize him in the passing game out of the backfield as well, which is something they did with Gurley his first few years and kind of got away from it because of his bum knee kind of thing. So... I think he'll fit right in, and he's patient behind the line. You know, we run a zone blocking scheme, and uh, he seems to be really patient. And has that quick burst through the hole, and he runs downhill.
1: No doubt. And Justin is a, a Rams fan. If you guys did not did not catch it, there dropping the royal Wii, uh when it comes to the Rams. And and one thing I'm interested to see how Cam catches in the league because, like, I think he can catch. Right, I've seen him catch the ball before. Some at, like some of these camps, but he didn't catch the ball much in high school because he was primarily a quarterback, and then. The offenses he played in were not offenses that that really threw the ball to the back and talk about in college here uh, very often. J- Jimbo's last offense 2017 certainly didn't catch that many balls. Willie's offenses really did not use the running back uh, all that much in the passing game, either at Fort State or at any of his prior stops. And that's something we profiled uh, pretty early on uh, when, when he got here. Maybe there's some untapped potential for Cam Akers catching the ball. He's certainly a pretty tough guy. All right, uh, after we got done
0: congratulating Cam Akers there, we'll tell you about our own uh, little exciting project on the horizon. Going to team up with our friends at Madison Social and uh, want to bring you the idea called Stump the Bud. Uh, so StumptheBud.com was made open and available today. Uh, you guys are going to be able to submit uh, trivia questions, and they will first go to Bud Elliott if he is not able To answer it. Uh, I believe the understanding is that Madison Social will send you a t-shirt. Bud can throw the question to me as a lifeline, and if I'm not able to get it, uh, we'll also send you a a gift card. So uh, t t-shirt and lunch, uh, possibly as a byproduct of this. Just going to have a fun time with our sponsors that we've been ever so fortunate to be able to pair with and work with uh, since day one. And uh, this is something that Matt and I have been talking about for a while. So excited to bring it to you. It's going to be May 6th. Um, So we'll continue to bring you more information, but do want to send you to stumpthebud.com to submit your questions.
1: I like this. It's much like Stump the Schwab was on ESPN back in the day. I also like the ability to throw a lifeline to my friend, Ingram Smith, who's actually really, really good at trivia. Uh, And I also like giving out t-shirts. So, I mean, if you you hit me up on Twitter with with the right uh, incentive there, maybe I can... (laughs) Yeah. I can help you guys out with the a t shirt. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna damn
0: shoeless Joe Jackson us here on
1: his own trivia. But uh yeah, this would be fun. Well uh, we're we're happy to do this with our friends at MADS, so our, our our longest running sponsor and uh we appreciate you all really you know stepping up and trying to help him out during this difficult time through buying gift cards and, and using them for takeout uh, as well. I saw, I saw they had seventy five cent wings. I believe it was yesterday, so pretty uh pretty cool there.
0: They've been doing all kinds of great things. Uh, Just, you know, always creative people that come up with all kinds of great ideas and have only continued to do so during this challenging time. So hats off to Matt and his team, and we look forward to working with him for a
1: long, long time. Matt, I would say that Matt and his team are almost as dominant as the SEC just was in its latest draft. So I wanted to ask you about this. Like, does this make you scared? Uh, Like, are you... Are you kind of freaking out about what just happened here, or, or are you not that worried because you realize like Florida State, Miami will probably be back to putting out players uh, recently? Uh, SEC sets a record for the number of first round picks from a conference, actually shattering uh, the old record. The old record was twelve; they hauled in fifteen. So you're looking at like beating the old record by by twenty percent. Uh, they also had twenty of the first fifty picks in the draft, uh, which is
0: pretty nuts you know, we're fortunate that we've been able to do this podcast for a long time, Bud, and uh, when we first started doing it, there was really this mentality on the recruiting trail, a lot of these kids, that if you didn't go to the SEC, you were a pansy or other terms. And I, I think we've kind of started to circle back to that a little bit, where some of the perception of the league is. There was a period of time, now obviously Clemson's an outlier, and Clemson's got it cooking as much as anybody in college football, but I think the general perception of the league and the amount of talent that gets put out kind of we're back to kind of 2011-2012 type of days as far as the SEC so far out in front of everybody else and a little bit of a stigma attached to prospects that ultimately don't decide to go there particularly prospects from this part of the country
1: I yeah I, I think that's something to worry about for sure uh, a little bit now I'll also take note like part of the reason why the SEC produced this many players in the first round is not because they have that many, like clearly, yes, they do have that many more guys who are better than everybody else in this given year, but they only control a certain part of that, right? They control how good their players are, but there are certain things that are not within their control, right? For instance, you know, how many first rounders did Florida State put out, or Miami, or Michigan, or Texas, or, you know, USC actually put out one? But th- those schools have to also put out top recruits. It's not like the SEC is putting out a ton of first-rounders from Vanderbilt and, and the Mississippi schools and, and Missouri, and I don't think Tennessee had a first-rounder. Yes, the SEC is the best conference. It's not really debatable. Like, like I mean, really, on, the, on a year-in-year-out basis, the, the talent they produce is, is pretty nuts, but part of the reason why it was so imbalanced this year is because of the fact that a lot of these other schools did not live up to their end of, of the talent development bargain Whereas some of these SEC schools did. Like, would the SEC still have the most if, if some of these other schools were doing a better job? Yeah, they would. Would they have the most by that much? Would they have 15 of the top 32 and set a record by that amount? Probably not, right? Like, I think there's a good argument they made that, like, yes, especially here for the SEC, there's no doubt. At the same time, they also got that many because some of these schools really were not holding up their end of the bargain as far as development. Now, as to your point, by the way, I think this is kind of interesting, dude. As to your point about like, are you seen as like not good enough or or scared if you don't go to an SEC school? I, I don't know that 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 is coming back as much as we saw it used to be, and it used to be a real thing, right? Like these a- kids going to the SEC would would pretty openly mock the kids deciding to go play a- ACC ball because they thought it was soft. And you know, then Fort State and Clemson have won. I mean, what three of the last? Like six national titles, that's or three of the last seven. Pretty impressive there. But I do think that some of the spending that goes on in the SC schools, and I'm not talking about like below the table stuff, I'm talking about like facilities investments, size of the coaching staffs, you know, just how flashy things are there because they have so much money. And because you have to have a spend down and you really can't be showing a profit that much because you want to make sure you say, hey, this is a, you know, is it am- amateur, amateur athletics, right? We don't have any money to pay these kids. Like some of these schools are so flashy because they have to spend all their money they make that I do think there's a bit of a difference there in terms of of selling, you know, and, and like when kids go on visits, there is probably an increasing difference every year as to the haves and the have nots as far as how much flash you can sell.
0: Definitely true. Yeah, you're going to have the the shiny, you know, toys uh, tied to TV contracts in other schools, but you know, some of the other schools that you mentioned there certainly can do that. The Texases of the Worlds, the Michigans of the Worlds, uh, that's a little bit where Florida State's different. They have to not only kinda live in this this area of the country and re- over recruit or re- recruit in an area that overlaps with all these institutions, uh, they also don't have the you know, the T V contract to provide some of these bells and whistles that some of these other schools can. So Definitely a challenge, uh, but doesn't mean that, you know, Florida State needs to keep signing high four and five star prospects and not having them get drafted. That's embarrassing, and school's got to do a better job of developing talent than that.
1: All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and turn to oh yeah, let's do our little our little uh, thing here. This question is is from uh, from Brett, a Patreon member. That's patreon.com slash nullcast. And he uh he asked us the question. He said, Hey, Can you give us a rundown of which of our knowles in the NFL might be in position battles after the draft? I thought this was kind of a a neat question. So,
0: you want to start? Yeah, this is uh, just unique, not something that I had heard done otherwise. So, we always are very fortunate to be able to draw upon some of the questions of our Patreons. And thank you, Brett, for being able to help us provide content that otherwise, at least not that I'm familiar, had been thrown out there. The first name that I'll start with is... Auden Tate, I would be. We didn't do this necessarily in like severity or chance of losing the job, but uh, Tate is right at the top of the list. T Higgins, the uh, Clemson product that we're also familiar with, is drafted there. And Tate, while having some success and making some of the acrobatic, ridiculous catches that uh, Florida State fans became accustomed to, uh, is going to have a hell of a battle on his hands. Tiggins is a very similar prospect and kind
1: of a much more polished version of what Tate gives you. Yeah, I, I think this is a really good good place to start because, like, who knows? I mean, maybe this is not necessarily saying Tate can't stay on the roster, but, like, Cincinnati used a pretty high second-round pick on uh, on Higgins. I'm trying to remember what what pick they used on Tate. I, I don't think he was a second-rounder. Pretty sure he was not. But, yeah, like, like he's a guy who I think was a better college player than Tate. Doesn't necessarily mean he'll take his job, but certainly uh, someone who we're going to be watching that battle closely. If you're into that kind of thing. Seventh round pick for Alden Tate for what Seven. it's worth, okay, but seventh. Yeah. Uh I mean, that's not really it's not a whole lot of job security tied tied to that draft pick if you go in seventh, but he's been a better player than this than a seventh round pick already for them, uh, no doubt. So uh Ingram next, and uh, I guess we'll just alternate here. Uh Bobby Hart. So Cincinnati took a guy named uh Akeem Adeniji. Adeniji. I, I have no idea who this guy is. A- Akeem Adeniji. Uh, he plays offensive line. So does Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart can play tackle or guard, and uh, has recently had, I believe, an extension with Cincinnati. So probably not any trouble there. But uh, again, they, they took this guy, I think, in the fifth or sixth round. So just is a sixth round pick out of Texas, or
0: excuse me, out of Kansas. So not exactly somebody that will be, uh, you know, screaming job replacement when it comes to Bobby Hart, but. Hey, man, I'm thrilled that we can just continue to talk about Bobby Hart being in the league this long. It's really remarkable to me and not something that I necessarily would have projected, uh, certainly not during the first period of time uh, while he was on campus. With the With the next individual, Bud will actually be uh, talking about two former Seminoles, uh, Rick Leonard and Rod Johnson, uh, both offensive tackles and uh a guy that they need to look at, at least, be somewhat concerned with, is a, a guy with a, a hell of a last name. Pardon the pun, but Charlie Heck uh, was drafted there, and uh, somebody in offensive tackle could theoretically take
1: either of their jobs. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, both these guys are are tackles on the Texans, and that's kind of that round there, that 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 middle round guy and Charlie Heck. That like it wouldn't shock you if he does emerge and 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 take somebody's job. So. Certainly, a position battle that we'll be watching there. Uh, then got a guy here, uh, Lamarcus Joyner, who is on on, on the Raiders, and uh, they drafted several guys: uh, Tater Muse, safety; Damon Arnett, a corner, and then they also drafted another corner. They they, they drafted another corner as well that the, the Raiders did. Drafted a kid out of Louisiana Tech. This is my fault. Uh, a Mick
0: Robertson uh, within the fourth round. So. Again, somebody that, and, you know, Muse is 6'2", a totally different prospect when it comes to body type, but a guy who theoretically could could overlap with Joyner. It's a, it's an interesting draft from the, the Joiner perspective.
1: No doubt. So, interesting to watch there, what happens with, with LaMarcus. Uh, Terrence Brooks for the uh, New England Patriots. Again, they drafted safety Kyle Duggar. And look, we don't know what positions these these draft picks are, are going to play for their new teams, and a lot of people don't either, who, who cover these teams because they haven't seen them Yet in training camp, I mean, we know Kyle Duggar is going to be a safety, but we don't know if he's going to be the safety that that plays Terrence Brooks' spot or, or the different safety spot. Um, I know I was watching some draft coverage, and they were talking about how it's uh, uh, a lot like like uh, like Patrick Chung, the, the former safety for the Patriots. But anyway, here, here's another guy to kind of watch uh, with with Terrence Brooks being on the Patriots, and then another Patriot here, and, and I'll, I'll let you take uh, take the Saints guys, um, Ryan Izzo. So the Patriots actually drafted two tight ends in Dalton Keene and uh, Devin ossi I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how much they like Ryan Izzo, but if I'm Ryan Izzo and I'm looking at some of these depth charts online and it says, I am mean, do the third or the fourth tight end on the Patriots and they just took two tight ends with draft picks in like the third round each. Uh, I may not be buying, buying a house here in New England. That is <laughs> not good. <laughs>
0: No, not good at all. So Izzo got uh, his stat line for 2019 production looked and read as uh, six receptions for 114 yards. Move along, a 41. So a guy who had a little bit of involvement in the offense, but yeah, if if that's what you you produced in 2019, and then you sit there and you watch him take uh, two tight ends, I think two tight ends and three picks, um, concern concern. If I was Ryan Izzo, certainly, yeah, that's uh, that's potentially problematic. <laughs> All right.
1: What about uh? What about Derek Kelly?
0: Okay, so Derek Kelly is uh, another guy who we kind of paired with a direct draft pick. Um, Cesar Ruiz is a prospect, an offensive tackle prospect that, again, a little bit later in the draft, but uh, somebody that uh, just one of the direct like-for-like picks that we could directly associate with a a former Florida State player.
1: Yeah. Uh. So Ruiz is a kid I've seen a lot. He was at IMG Academy. Uh, I'm at IMG Academy a whole lot. Not during right now because it's quarantine, but other than that, I'm usually down there, I don't know, probably every six weeks or so. And uh, he went to Michigan, had a really nice career. So he's a center, but he can also play guard, which is why we included him on this list because Derek Kelly is a second team guard for the Saints. So there's a good chance that Ruiz will immediately start uh, on the depth chart, at least, atop of Kelly, and then we'll just have to see how how else it shakes out around Derek Kelly. Uh, what about our boy uh, Josh Sweat up there in Philadelphia? Is he, is he in danger? Josh Sweat, there was a, a couple names that we
0: looked at uh, that could possibly overlap with him. But really, Sweat, I think, is in pretty good shape. There's a seventh-round pick out of, uh, out of Stanford by the name of Casey Tuhill, uh spelled T-O-H-I-L-L. Uh So I think Sweat of some of the players that we talked about uh, hey, look! It's not like uh, <laughs> it's not like Derek Kelly, where he would just watch his franchise take a first round pick and a guy that could potentially uh, fill out to him. Uh, sweat has a little bit more comfortable, uh, at least, competition when it comes to where the pick was was chosen or invested. Anyway,
1: maybe Sweat will be able to uh, to, to not sweat over oh that. Oh my pick. gosh! Ooh. 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 Where did that
0: come from? So creative! Finally, Vince Williams and Vince Williams kind of kind of. Sh- Book in my thoughts with Bobby Hart and the fact that I was pretty impressed that this guy's still in the league. Vince just isn't in the league. He's playing for the the Steelers and playing linebacker for them seemingly since the day he was drafted. Uh, Great to see Vince have the success that he did. They did take a kid, uh, probably more of an edge player in Alex Highsmith, actually from UNC Charlotte there. Um, But I think Vince is pretty safe and happy to see a guy continue to earn a a pretty significant NFL paycheck there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about Alex Highsmith. Uh, Like He's from Charlotte. He kind of has dimensions that are somewhat similar to Vince, but like you said, he might be an edge guy. Uh, So hopefully he is an edge guy and Vince continues to uh, to be an important player for the Steelers. That's kind of your NFL rundown. Uh, That's not all the the Noles in the NFL, obviously, but there's some guys we're just not going to waste your time talking about. Jalen Ramsey, obviously, is not somebody who's going to have his job threatened there uh, with... uh, with the Rams, and Derwin James is probably pretty safe. Yeah, you know. yeah, we're we're not real worried about Derwin or Dalvin, uh, th- those guys. So we just wanted to kind of keep it uh, keep it short. Uh, speaking of keeping it short, you know what's not short is the list of homeowners that, that have got their their uh. loan through Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans does a great job with our NoLcast listenership program. Eight four four FSU Loan. You'll get hooked up with Shannon Young. He's the best guy in in the business and <laughs> Ingram and, and Justin are laughing here on, on the video <laughs> stream because because that transition I just hit him with. That segue with dope, dude. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was uh, so eight four four FSU loan right. Get you in contact with Shannon Young. He did my loan. He did my refi. He did a lot of y'all's refis. We've sent out more than fifty uh, like new homeowner packages with, with your T shirts, and we, we we throw in a Louisiana hot sauce koozie and and a note and. Now we also want to tell you all that they also do debt consolidation there and, and not in the traditional like, you know, call for debt consolidation sense, but like there's a lot of equity in your home, perhaps. And, and if you're going through a tough time right now, it might make a lot, a lot of sense to check out and use some of that equity in your home as opposed to maybe using a high interest credit card. So if you're in that spot, it can't hurt to call 844 FSU loan. Just check out what they have to offer. It might be right for you. All right, bud. So, why don't we jump into this uh, little bit of a unique
0: game here? Fortunate to be able to uh, call upon the creativity of one of our listeners. And that is kind of draft, at least how we feel uh, the position groups are from, or at least rank. I don't know if we're drafting, but ranking the position groups uh, from strongest to weakest when it looks at uh, just general uh, shape of the roster.
1: I think so. Yeah. So, uh, just real quickly here, doing seven positions, right? DB, linebacker, defensive line, O line, receiver, tight end, running back, QB. Let's let's go with number
0: one as as the best unit. So, uh, we'll I guess we'll start at seven and work down. Or I'll go first. Uh, be real brave here and acknowledge the fact that the offensive line
1: is is uh, far and away the worst unit on the team. I'm gonna go ahead and go with running back as my second weakest unit on the team. I don't really trust LeBourne as far as a guy you can count on. And I'm not really all that enthused with what you have in, in the rest of the group. So go ahead and give me running back there at my number six. Okay. Um, when
0: we first tried to do this, we botched it so badly that I kind of know where Bud's next pick is as well. So we'll be able to knock these two out. Um, where Bud went running back, I went quarterback. Uh, so I have, you know, quarterbacks as the second uh, most concerning unit on the team and running backs third. So we kind of flip flop there Uh, So, I think at this point, we have somewhat of a uh, not a mirrored board necessarily, but we have the three weakest units in accordance, just not exactly lined up uh, with
1: each other. My number four pick then is going to be uh, linebacker. I kind of have some confidence in the linebacker group for the first time in a while, not confidence that they will be great or anything like that, but confidence that they're going to be maybe a little better than some people might think. So, go ahead and give me linebacker there. I think you have some returning experience and also. Like, I like the linebacker group they signed 2 years ago and those guys will now be you know not in their true freshman seasons and so go ahead and give me the linebacker here.
0: Yeah, I um I'm I'm going to say the same thing. It's, it's not quite in it's not quite in either of these areas of the next 3 units that I feel are uh, a fairly significant strength. But I do think the floor has been raised significantly. You're right. You haven't signed stars, but you have signed players that give you a floor that's raised considerably. And uh, 2020 may be the first year, hopefully, uh, when balls played on the field, uh, that you start to see some of the younger prospects really uh, carve out positions for themselves and show the level of prospect that at least has been recruited over the past couple of years. So, yeah, I think this is kind of right in the middle of the team
1: when it comes to uh, relative strength of per unit. I I don't know if you did this on your sheet, but but on mine, I took and I drew lines where I almost like like I'm just sort of programmed to do this when I'm writing articles, but like I made tiers. And I've got a tier right under that that number six to where offensive lines is like its own tier of suckage. And then I have sort of a group four, five, six with my linebackers, quarterbacks, running backs. And then another line, right, with my final three. And so I'm interested to h- hear who you took with with your third best unit on the team.
0: Okay, so I went defensive back with the third unit. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed embarrassed by how optimistic we've been in the years past about defensive backs, and it just hasn't come to fruition. Um, I still think you've got good talent there. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity, and I think this is clearly one of the stronger units. Uh, but because of some of the talent that it appears you've been able to uh, retain when it comes to the defensive line of the ball um, i I think this is the the third kind of of the most talented units that you have
1: I actually went went DB as well uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense here it's also a position that I think can really benefit uh, from improved coaching and not necessarily like that much better technique coaching but just overall uh coaching understanding where where players need to be uh, and how to work together as a unit I think will and I think that is one area where this coaching staff will do better than the last coaching staff. Sometimes I think that, that some of the fans, just the tenor of the questions, uh, that, that I get, uh, and, and that we get to our email inbox assume that like every single area of coaching is going to be better. And like, that's probably not true. In fact, I think some positions may not be upgraded coaching wise, but I do think that you're going to be better in the secondary overall. It's, I think more guys will be in the right place. More often, and I say that even knowing that, like last year was the second year of a defense, quote unquote. Even though we knew that kind of were putting in a different defense slightly uh, for the 2019 season, assuming you get like the six weeks ramp up uh, that that we think you're going to get, probably, I think this the secondary will be better than last year's secondary, and so that's why I went with the secondary. Now, for my number two pick, uh, go ahead, and give me the receivers, Tamari and Terry. You got Wilson. You got DJ. If he finally is able to turn it on, some pretty impressive young guys that I think you have to you have to like, right? I mean, not that you think they're all going to hit, but like, do you like Warren Thompson or Jordan Young to turn into something? If you present it in that way, I think there's a pretty good possibility.
0: Yeah, we're we're in alignment here on three, two, one. I think I would have gone defensive line in general. Certainly would have with the you know the idea that you're able to. Uh, add the the love it kid. Now we'll see whether or not he's immediately available. But uh, yeah, I think it's a there's some really nice position. There's some really nice pieces there at Whiteout. You're right uh, in mentioning that some of them are raw or some of them have, have had their challenges in in developing talent so far. Uh, but I, I really like what you have, and and obviously with Terry, you have kind of a, a piece with which to build everything else around. Uh, so a talented group and. Florida State's defensive line, you know, with the idea that it's—I don't know—that this is a, you know, official, but it certainly would appear as though there's some justified optimism around the idea of Kane Doe sticking around. I just think it's at this point in time, head and shoulders your best best group when you look at the roster.
1: I agree. I I think it makes it makes a whole lot of sense, and I, I don't have uh, I don't have a whole lot to or to to add to that, I mean, with the exception of like, I mean, clearly inside is a lot better. Than than the outside going into the season doesn't mean it has to end up that way probably will but uh, I, man I thought we would have more difference here like I, I know we work together I know we work out the same outline but we did not show each other our notes before before we did this exercise this was this was pretty fun
0: this was fun and great to be able to do something that uh, you know we hadn't necessarily planned on uh, on doing so uh, I think that'll be a, another episode of the NoLcast in the books uh, but. Enjoyed it as always. Want to thank our sponsors. Want to thank our listeners. Uh, These are odd times and putting a show together has has some unique challenges, but we've enjoyed doing these an awful lot. And we'll continue to uh, kind of try to find information here, there, and everywhere and uh, continue to uh, kind of clobber together
1: episodes as we make our way through this uh, rather unique spring and summer. Let's do it, buddy. And five stars on iTunes. If you guys feel like giving it to us, we really appreciate it. And we'll see y'all soon. This has been the NoCast. The Nullcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith Music by Judson Wright And produced by Justin Robinson Go low.